Welcome to the Grip Strip Podcast. My name is Philip Matthew. I'm here with my co-host, Joshua Fine. We will be talking about the IndyCar race of Texas, which was uh, Kit Dixon's dad putting a whooping on the field. We'll talk about the races at Atlanta, triple header. Also briefly discuss the Supercross races at uh, Salt Lake, which they're running the last seven races there. And then we'll get into... The race is this weekend. First of all, at Martinsville, that'll be taking, uh, that'll be going on tomorrow or today, depending on when you listen to this. And the uh, race is at Homestead. So that will be episode six here of the Grip Strip podcast. How are you doing, Josh? How's everything been? I'm doing good. Uh, it's been kind of rainy the last couple of days and all that, but you know, we got a lot to talk about with racing. I mean, wasn't wasn't like the best racing weekend, but hey, racing's racing. You know, it's like pizza, you know, um, there's never really bad pizza. <laughs> well, yeah, it depends on who you ask. People get real buttered about that, too. But for me, I'm, I agree in terms of there's really not a bad pizza. I love pizza altogether. That's how I get you get a physique like mine. Um, going into the Genesis 300, the IndyCar series opener, they went to St. Pete back in March. And they were there, teams were there, everything was ready to go. And in a, like a flip of like a light switch, everything got stopped, couldn't even run. They were, I think they ran the, the world challenge, whatever they call the world challenge now had been practicing and other series of the road Indy at practice, but the Indy cars never got out on the racetrack and they'd been sitting, they'd been at home. They did the iRacing deal, which we talked about a couple like last week with with Tanner walk-ins and we also talked about prior to that but this week was actually the opener in Texas Motor Speedway one of the crappiest racetracks that exists on planet earth Scott Dixon takes home his 47th win and uh, there was a bunch of different stats they came up with 16th consecutive year he's won an IndyCar race 18 years he's won an IndyCar race total. Uh, he's five wins away from Mario Andretti in second all time. I mean, there there was a whole lot of stuff going on. And I mean, it's what you have to talk about because the race itself wasn't all that great. Um, before I throw to you, Josh, I'll just go into a rundown. Scott Dixon wins. Simon Pagano second, and Joseph Newgarden, who started on pole, the defending series champion, he finished third. Uh, Zach Veach, who started fifth, had a great day for Andretti Autosport, lead Andretti Autosport car. And Ed Carpenter finished fifth. Cole, uh, Connor Daly had a great run for the Carlin team, the one Carlin car that showed up. Uh, finished sixth after starting 19th in a field of 24 cars. Uh, what were your thoughts, Josh, on uh, the race on Saturday at Texas? It wasn't really, like, too exciting. Um you know, it was actually kind of disappointing because uh, I thought in past years, uh, Texas had actually had some pretty good races for IndyCar. Um, yeah. You, know, you go back to the finish that they like to play with uh, James Hinchcliffe and Graham Rahal uh, coming to the line. <laughs> you know, um, the sort of wreck fest from 2017 where it was basically a pack race and, you know, the that's adorable moment from Hinchcliffe to yeah. uh, Ganassi. Tony. Yeah, yeah, Tony Kanaan, yeah, yeah, that yeah, was and I enjoyed I think that. 18 wasn't really that good, and I think last year's IndyCar race uh, was pretty good. 
um, it was for Texas. It was fairly enjoyable, I would say. And this one, I don't know, maybe it was different because of the lack of, I don't want to say lack of preparation, but just because, you know, they've been out of it for so long. And this was basically like everybody's first race back. And being that it was on like a high-speed oval and everything, I wonder if there was maybe some, I don't want to say trepidation, but maybe like, you know, they weren't as maybe comfortable as what maybe they would have wanted to be going into this race, you know, um, with the, the lack of um, preparation and all that. Uh, I don't know, I'm kind of maybe speculating there with that, but that's just kind of my observation. But yeah, it was mostly a domination fest with... Uh, Scott Dixon, Joseph Newgarden led a lot at the beginning, but then he yeah. faded. You know, he faded uh, almost to the back half of the top ten, and then he kind of climbed back up to get at least a podium, which I guess is a recovery for him. But of course, you know, he didn't win the race, and you know, we I think the only really like interesting moment was you know um, Alex Palau and uh, the other rookie um, Renus VK. Yeah, Renus VK crashing. Uh, that was, you know, they, well, he, I think, yeah, it was Palau getting taken out, you know. Yeah, coming uh, out of the pits, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and then, you know, with about 10 to go, we saw Felix Rosenquist just kind of, uh, you know, Wipe get a little out. too too aggressive, yeah. Yeah, 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 a little too aggressive and trying to trying to get around the traffic, and then he was getting around Hinchcliffe, and then uh, I think he got a little bit too much into the grip strip, or he got a little too close to Hinchcliffe, and then he crashed. Yeah, that's you went over a lot of things there, so I'll I can go we can go back on that. I mean, the fact is the IndyCar teams only it was a one-day show flew in very early in the morning. They had time to prep the cars, they had one practice. Rookies had an additional I think half an hour practice prior to the 2-hour practice which was done smack dab in the middle of the day which had absolutely no no relevance to what they were going to have to race in in the evening. Renus VK ended up crashing his Ed Carpenter racing 21 car in practice, but they were able to repair it and get it back out in time to do additional practice laps during the regular uh, practice. And he qualified. Uh, he qualified dead last, or, or he didn't qualify, sorry. So he ended up... Uh, getting i think yeah i don't think he ended up able to qualify or i don't know what they did they they penalized ferrucci there that's why he was in the back sato they gave him 22nd even though yeah because he wiped out in qualifying itself okay yeah so there were other accidents uh during practice ryan hunter ray among other people hit the wall i think ed carpenter had issues so there were issues. There was also the notion of the grip strip, which I, I that's part of the reason why Nate, we named it that because the the excessive use of it because of how bad NASCAR is now. Uh, and Texas Motor Speedway has gone to a very high level of using it to the point where they basically took away any opportunity for a second groove to exist in the turns, yep. which which rendered the IndyCar race a one-groove one parade. Um, outside of Scott Dixon going and doing Superman moves 
twice uh, to pass Pagano and pass what ended up being the winning move, basically, against New Garden early in the race. It was an off a restart. He goes and does a Hail Mary move on the outside of turn one, and that was it. That was basically the race. It it never, after that, it was over. He, it was lap 91, or I think on lap 90, and he never he never relinquished the lead the rest of the race. There were cautions. There was a they ran over a hundred laps under Green, and then the wreck where Rosenquist was trying to get to to Dixon. It's the same kind of deal as what happened in Mid Ohio last year. Uh, he tried to get around a lapper. Of course, Hinch was having issues. He he had had issues in the pits. Then he was running off the pace. And Rosenquist was trying to push the issue, went into the gray, went out into the grip strip, and then slid out, which was the same thing that happened, as Josh mentioned, when you were talking about Renus VK's second wreck of the day uh, during the race, which took out Alex Palau, which he was running okay at that point, and it's it's not a good deal, you know, uh, two wrecks in a in a day is a bad look for anybody. Uh, for for a rookie, albeit a very talented rookie in Rena's VK, a bad start. Ed Carpenter was not very happy about it. They don't have as much money as the Ganassis or the Penskis or the Andrettis to run their their team. Of course, Renus does bring money from Holland to uh, supplement his being there along with other monies, I think, from the Road to Indy program. But... Uh, an inauspicious start for him. I I kind of and it it'll go into something that we are going to talk about here in a second. But uh, brutal start as a rookie. It is. It, it, I mean, it's basically being thrown to the wolves, being thrown in the fire. You've you've never driven an indie car in a race, and now you're going to have one two hour practice or two and a half hours on a big oval, a crappy oval at that, and then you're going to have to go out there and race. I mean, it, it, it's asking a lot. And even some of the best drivers in this series struggled. So it, it tells you all that you have to say about, you know, the one-day show. But when it comes down to it, when you look at who finished in the top three, it's the usual suspects. So, uh I'll, we, we go into Dixon, and the fact is 47th win. A lot of accolades he got. He won the Rolex 24, albeit he only did, I think, maybe two stints. Uh, he was a part of the overall winning team at the Rolex 24, so he's two for two this year in actual races. What does it say about, and Rosenquist was there and probably had the faster car. What does it say about Ganassi and where they're at? Considering we're now going into a one-month break before they come back for the Indy Road Course, uh, the Indy Grand Prix, and their preparation relative to the other teams and what we should be looking for. Well, I mean, it looks like Ganassi is definitely the team to watch, at least on ovals. Yeah. You know, we when we talked about it on the IndyCar podcast two weeks ago, mm-hmm. and we said it's you know usually it's always Penske or Ganassi, and looks like so far Ganassi appears to be pretty stout and it's it's looking like they're going to be at least on the ovals like i just said that they'll be the team to watch we'll see how they do on the road courses but i you know with one month of preparation you know they they can just go all in on the road course i i suppose and 
they'll probably do pretty well there, I would expect. Yeah, I mean, when you're when you're talking about a guy who's one of the greatest of all time, and it really isn't a discussion that he's one of the greatest of all time, he is. Uh, people, whether they appreciate how great Scott Dixon is, they're going to have to appreciate how great he is. It's This has been going on, like, I'm aging myself. I mean, Josh is younger than me anyway. This this nonsense with Scott Dixon winning and and in a lot of times not having the best car has been going on since I was in high school. Now is 20 years ago. So the fact is, he's I mean, and here's the thing: Chip Ganassi is not exactly the greatest person to work for. He doesn't exactly keep people if they don't perform all that well. But the fact is, Scott Dixon performs well. He's won in everything he's put him in. He's kept him. He's he's the longest term employee I think that Ganassi's ever had. I mean, maybe Mike Hall and a couple other mechanics and stuff like that. But in terms of drivers, Scott Dixon's been there since 2002, uh, before they made the move full time move to the IRL. He he's been there since 02. So. And he's been in IndyCar, he's been in big-time open-wheel, American open-wheel racing since 2001. He won the last kart race at at Nazareth Speedway, which is like an hour away from me, for the PacWest team. And so, I mean, this this has been going on for a while. Uh, Kit, his son Kit is here, and eventually he'll be able to understand how great his dad is and... Uh, he was able to do the six shooters and do all that good stuff with with that Eddie Goosage, that waste of time that he is. Uh, I it in speaking of Eddie Goosage and all that, like that's one thing I wanted to say. Like we talk about the grip strip and PJ whatever PJ one track track bite whatever. We've had to talk about it as NASCAR fans, Josh, for a while because of how bad the product is. But when you consider what IndyCar had, they had a captive audience on a Saturday night on primetime on NBC, which is the first time I think they've been on primetime on a network in years. I don't know when. I I think somewhere along the line they may have wrote where the last time they had it on primetime, but I don't think that it's been a very long time. And the notion that you had a one groove basically parade, I had a couple of questions. It's like, did they really do the best? It was was this a lost opportunity considering what could happen at Texas for whatever it may be, and what could have been done to avoid this kind of race that we ended up having? Well, I I'm not really sure. I mean, it's. You know, it was definitely a lost opportunity because, you know, there wasn't a lot of action going on. But I'm not really sure. I think it, it seems to me that maybe the PJ1 grip strip or whatever you want to call it, um, obviously it somewhat works for NASCAR. I mean, I think we can kind of agree on that. Yeah. But, um, you know, for IndyCar, you know, they they have a different tire, I think, mm-hmm. and, and their cars react differently to the cup car or from the cup cars and i thought was interesting is how uh they said i think they said on the broadcast that they measured the track or something like that and they they found that the uh the pj1 stuff um there is actually like less grip than than uh the bottom groove which i thought that was pretty interesting because you would think that 
with with that stuff on the the surface like that they th- that there would be a higher number i guess than the part of the surface that doesn't have that but yeah. you know it, it's it shows that they've got to figure out a way to find some sort of balance i guess you know that you know that maybe i don't know if there's a way to remove it or not you know and obviously i know that it kind of takes a while for you know that stuff to be applied and you, you know you, you can't just like remove it and then put it back on you know it's not like astroturf or whatever you just remove it and replace it with something else you know yeah i i don't i don't know what they have to do to i guess make it better but you know it was you know i mean it's not like we i mean we had you know 2017 that was probably as far as indycar texas races go yeah it was a pack race but it was fairly entertaining and and i know that had a lot to do with the package that they had at the time but you know sometimes it's the package and sometimes it's the track and you know, i think texas has to find a way to make it uh, you know they they got to figure out a way to find that balance and yeah i i think um you know that they've got to figure out a way where you know because they i think they ruined the track mm-hmm. and they repaved it and that they have one side of the track that's really you know really banked and then they have one side that's flatter and i don't think they that's the way to go yeah, I, there's you made a lot of good points there. I mean, the 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 thing is, I'm no fan of Texas Motor Speedway. I don't care for Eddie Goosage. I never will. It's one of the crappiest racetracks that, that exists in this in in the in in the world. Uh, it's been a crappy racetrack since they made it in 19. It started in 97. They never earned a cup date on merit. So they they've had problems from the beginning. The initial start of the racetrack they had reverse like transitions so where instead of you being able to go and like dive in and like the the transition would let you get into the corner easily it almost was like it was inverted so like if you reverse banking that's what it was so it effed up the entry and exit so you had crazy entry in 97 which the first two years of the cup race the samsung 500 i think it was first two years of the cup race they had a first lap accident and it was because of you know people getting loose and and that and then they also had issues with weepers from the beginning in turns one and two because they have the tunnel in between there so from the beginning this track has been a been a a a crap been a load of crap uh goosage gets all this pr because he's a wannabe uh, he's a wannabe humpy wheeler and that's really what it is Uh, humpy wheeler's a legend he did a good job until he decided to levigate charlotte and ever since then charlotte's been a dump SMI is not exactly known for making great moves with racetracks. We're going to get into that in more detail here with the NASCAR uh, discussion in, in a little bit. And so when you look at what they did with the IndyCar, they had all this PJ1. The, the thing that I don't get is like, oh, you just decided to go and use a truck and brush it off. The last NASCAR race was there in freaking November. You're telling me from November to June, that crap, they put so much down that you basically made after the width of the car, everything else after the width of an Indy car is like an ice skating rink. If you actually cared about putting on a good product, as much as Eddie Goosage talks about that, wouldn't you go to the, go to the next level knowing, go and scrub that area, go and have brush trucks, go and have sweepers, 
go and spray it. I don't, I don't know, whatever you have to do so that you can scrub and at least have two grooves. Or at least go and scrub the top groove, like up against the wall, if you're going to get really insane and go like, go like driven and, and, and make the wall work, you know, like, like do something like to me, it, it, it shows a lack of respect. I mean, Eddie Goosage has issues with IndyCart goes back to when cart couldn't run there and he got all butthurt about it. And it's like, asshole, these guys were passing out because they were doing four and a half G's in the corner because they were actually driving real race cars, not the toilets that the IRL were driving, which literally was a mowing toilet with a freaking four liter engine on, on the back, was strapped to the back of it and a gearbox, which would go and F people up. That's literally what the IRL was initially. So don't tell me about, about the cart guys screwed you over and you don't give it credence he that's one of the many reasons why i hate that guy he's a piece of garbage he's overrated his track's a dump they should fill it with water do the Bassmasters classic there they draw a sellout crowd there for the Bassmaster class it'd be more interesting than any race they've ever had there that wasn't an irl pack race or one of these indycar recent races where when they had the dw12 with the the weird the weird arrow and they had a, a pack race and they it's funny how that's another thing how graham ray hall's won two race he hasn't won a lot of races and people hate graham ray hall and that's fine and i'm a graham ray hall guy and it's hard to be a fan of his but it is what it is he's married to courtney force he he's won two races that were very controversial and that was one of them where it was a total pack race at texas which is asking for trouble and he shouldn't have, frankly. I mean, Hinch should have won that race, but he gave it away. And you had Tony Kanan trying to kill everybody. You had Helio Castro trying to kill it because that's the Brazilian thing. They block. Um, outside of that race, I don't remember in a, a non-IRL IRL race there that's been interesting. And I can never – I can name one – decent finish in nascar that's ever been interesting at texas and that was a matt kenseth passing jeff burton in 06 or 07 or somewhere around there yeah, it was 07 yeah for for a win that was it or the other way around i don't know whatever it was that's it texas motor speedway is a shit show the the they they benefit from the fact that coda is going through financial difficulties that's literally what it is. If if Coda could actually f- had good financials and everything, Texas Motor Speedway wouldn't be a thing. It's a terrible racetrack. And if they if they truly cared about doing what they were supposed to do to help IndyCar and make this thing work and Roger Penske and his debut as the owner of IndyCar, you could have scrubbed the damn racetrack. I, I you've had months. You, they've been talking about this for months that basically Texas was going to be the the opener. They've had time. If you really wanted to make this work, you could have made it work. And it, and it fundamentally, it irritates me because I hate Texas Motor Speedway. And it came through with flying colors and being a terrible race. Unless you're a Scott Dixon fan, and then, of course, you, you would have you'd enjoyed it. Uh, we'll talk, before we get into uh, standouts and all that, like positives and negatives in the end, uh, the Honda teams had issues before the start of the race. We mentioned Rena's VK's issues. Takuma Sato wiped out going over the grip strip, wiped his car out, couldn't get the car repaired. They needed a half hour. If they had an extra half hour, they would have been able to get the car out there 
but because NBC and IndyCar basically agreed to like a, a strict, rigid two-hour window, which in the end they extended out to two and a half hours by doing a half-hour post-race on uh, NBCSN, the notion is they probably could have just had the they could have they could have started they could have had the race at eight thirty and went to ten thirty they could have had it at nine and they could have had it till eleven and did a two and a half hour thing you could add Takuma Sato but I, that's a separate time for a separate discussion but uh, the big the big issue that came up was three Honda teams uh, championship favorite one of the championship favorites Alexander Rossi. His teammate Ryan Hunter Ray, the lead, uh, the elder statesman of Andretti Autosport, and then Graham Ray Hall, as we talked about earlier, all had issues, software issues, which made their cars, they weren't able to start their cars initially. All of them had to go, they had to go and they made unapproved adjustments, so they had to do they were they had to do a drive through penalty they had to go to in the case of Rossi and Hunter Ray they both had to go to the back they had to go tailback as Rusty Wallace would like to say and Ray Hall went into the into the garage came back out they all had to do a drive through Rossi's race was run from the beginning Ray Hall's race was run from the beginning Hunter Ray was able to recover and he had one of the best race cars out there but nobody knows it because they NBC only focused on Dixon and New Garden and I think Zach Veach and maybe two other people the whole entire night. Uh, I mean that was a bad that was a bad look for for those teams and for Alexander Rossi who's trying to make trying to go and get this championship that is that has eluded him for all these years to go and lose you know all these points. He finishes 15th. He loses, what is it? He's now, he starts the season. He has 15 points. So he's 30, 40, he's 43 points behind Scott Dixon. And he has a month to wait on that. I mean, what were you, when you saw that, uh, Josh, when with the uh, Rossi on Ray and Ray all, what were you thinking? And, what is it for Rossi? What does he have to do now? I mean, Hunter Ray's been a champion, Ray Hall's Ray Hall, but for Rossi now having to make up 43 points this early in the season in a very tight field, what is it going to, what is he going to have to do? Well, he's probably going to have to win Indianapolis because Indy is double points. Yeah. And that would, and he's going to have to, you know, podium a lot of the races, you know, he's 38 points behind, but still he's going to have to, uh, you know, He's going to have to finish very consistently within the podium, if not podium, top five, and you know, whatever. And definitely going to have to, you know, go for, they have to make sure that they are contending in the Indianapolis 500 in August, which is weird to say, but they'll have to make sure that they're just super consistent and, and, you know, they, it's, it's a big def- deficit to make up. And you, know, you have to also have to consider the finale. I think the finale is still double points, right? Uh, last time I checked it was, but I have to find out. I'll, I'll go and look yeah. at it. But uh, yeah. but definitely Indianapolis, the, the 500 is double points. And that's yeah. the point that if, if, if Ross Hughes, the former winner of the Indy 500, almost won it last year, if he's able to win it this year, it basically wipes out 
and there are points for qualifying as well. At yeah. So let's just say Honda actually hits it compared to Chevy, because Chevy usually puts a lot of emphasis at Indy, and being that they're with Penske and Ed Carpenter, they usually are able to make things happen there. If Honda's able to come up with a good product there, and Rossi's able to get into the top nine, that's a place to make up some points. Uh, yeah, I mean, Rossi's not going to go away. The, once Once we get in the meat of this schedule here in a month's time, that 27 car is going to be up front, and he'll be a factor at the Indianapolis 500 uh, for sure. Uh, who, like we, before we go and move on to Atlanta, who who stood out to you? Not like the big names, like in terms of people that are unsung drivers, maybe didn't get the amount of coverage that they should have gotten on TV during the race on Saturday. Who stood out to you, Josh, before I go on and we'll go in transition? Yeah, I think probably Connor Daly would be a guy because you know, he finished sixth place and I think he started 19th. So, you know, he definitely made a lot of moves and you know, didn't get a podium, but, you know, still got a pretty good finish for um, what his car is. And he drives for Carlin, which is a pretty small team yeah. and all that. You know, so I think to start off with a, you know, good sixth place finish uh, you know that's a really good um situation for that group to start off the season uh i i don't know i think maybe another guy that stood out to me is probably colton herta as well we finished in seventh and like i said before in our podcast from two weeks ago i you know i think colton herta is probably maybe a a guy to look out for this year you know he um he won last year at, at coda i believe and and i think maybe this year he'll take another step forward and and you know maybe he'll win a couple more races or we'll expect to see him in at least the top five or or in that range at, at you know old tracks and at, at the road courses yeah he won he won at coda and he won the season finale at laguna seca to and now he's a full andretti team member they were a basically satellite effort last year the harding steinbrenner team <laughs> but now they're fully integrated within the andretti team so colton herta definitely he was running a tribute paint scheme to hank steinbrenner the uh, late co-owner of the new york yankees who passed away during the COVID-19 deal it wasn't because of COVID-19, but he passed away. That's uh, George, uh, Mike, George Steinbrenner, the fourth father, who's Colton Herta's basically benefactor. The reason why Colton Herta is in IndyCar right now. And they were running a Yankee uh, blue and white uh, capstone car on Saturday. He's a guy that once we get in the media, we're going to see about him what he can do because now there's no excuse about equipment with uh, Colton Herta. He's in there with the Rossies and Hunter Rays and uh, Zach Veach who, and that's what I'm going to, that there, there's two people. I mean, Connor, who's like probably could be the most popular driver in the IndyCar series just because of how funny he is and who, what he is on social media, how he utilizes it and, the fact that he's running a full year for the first time in a couple of years, he's only been able to run two full-time seasons in his career. Uh, taking the small Carlin team, he did this last year with, at Texas. Similarly, 
uh, not as good of a finish as he had on Saturday, but to go from 19th to 6th with a team that last year at Indianapolis failed to qualify three of the four cars, or because counting counting uh, Fernando Alonso as well, to get a sixth place finish is a big deal. He's running for full time. He's running for points. So that's a good deal for him. He'll be in the Ed Carpenter car, the 20 car, uh, you know, for the, the road courses. So that that'll be the majority of the schedule from here on out. I think there's only three oval races left the rest of the year or four oval races left the rest of the year. So the, and so he's going to be in a good piece and he has a teammate in VK that's going to push him. And uh, so that's a big deal. And for Zach Veach, who they spent a lot of time talking about him, top five qualifying spot. He was okay in 18, nothing of great significance. In 19, was the bottom fell out on him. He kind of looked like Marco Andretti, where he was irrelevant, and he probably didn't deserve a ride, but for whatever, because he has sponsorship, he's there. I'd love to know the whole machinations of how he's in there and Gainbridge and all the connections. It would be interesting, and that would be worth a show in itself. But on Saturday, he looked like, the kind of guy who's who he was he belonged there which he had kind of proven in the road to indy and if if cautions had fell a certain way the way that it had at at uh, gateway last year maybe he would have had a chance to win but for them for that team to get a top five finish it's a big deal for them i'll give a shout out also to oliver askew the rookie who had a pretty uh, checkered deal in the iRacing, but in his debut in an Indy car, finishes ninth for the Arrow, the Spam team, uh, Schmidt, Peterson, Arrow, McLaren, and uh, Charlie Kimball, who crashed on the last lap, but definitely ran way better than that. Uh, deserved better than a 12th place finish. And for AJ Foyt's team, which has been at the back for a while, uh, big deal. Uh, for that organization to be up front. Uh, we'll go and their next race will be the Indy Grand Prix. It'll be in concert. They'll run and they'll also be running with the Xfinity series that day on July the 4th on our Independence Day. Uh, and the Xfinity series will be running the road course. And then the next day will be the Brickyard 400. We'll transition into the Cup Series Folds of Honor, Quick Trip 500, which was Kevin Harvick's 51st career Cup Series victory, breaking a tie with uh, Hall of Famer legends uh, Ned Jarrett and Junior Johnson and getting two wins ahead of his car owner and good buddy Tony Stewart. His third win at Atlanta, he famously won his first race at Atlanta in his third career start. Uh, after taking over for the late Dale Earnhardt, he did the three salute at uh, after the race. Uh, what were in terms of the race itself? I mean, Kevin Harvick had uh, Kevin Harvick had uh, had the field covered basically. Josh, I, I I mean, there wasn't when you consider that uh, there was only. 10 cars on the lead lap if it weren't for cautions landing a certain way this could have been really ugly so what were your thoughts on harvick doing uh what harvick does 
Well, I mean, it's expected for Harvick at this point at Atlanta, right? Yeah. You know, we, even even with the 550 horsepower package kind of constraining the cars and all that, he still dominates Atlanta. And I mean, you know, we it wasn't quite as dominant as it was like in 2014 when he basically led the whole thing, you know. But he was still still pretty dominant, you know. He um he was able to overcome, I guess. You know, there was a little bit of a uh, factor with tire wear and, and whatnot, and we saw Martin Truex Jr. challenge for the lead and Club Boyer as well, but for the most part, it was just a, another another dominant performance by Kevin Harvick. Yeah, I mean, it's for him, it's a second win of the year. It solidifies his spot on in the playoff, basically. I mean, it's not like he had to worry about that, but... When you look at the playoff situation, he's basically got nearly a race full points lead right now. Two wins. He's up there in the playoff points. You're you think about the maximizing when you consider the you get you get the 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 playoff point. You get six playoff points for for uh, or seven. If you if you win both stages and five and you get the five for the win so seven plus you go and get i think they give don't they get five points for winning or yeah it's five points for winning and then the stage wins and so so it's seven and you're like i i used to be able to do the the it's bad i i used to be able to do the math on who how many points was the maximum you could get but yeah i haven't paid attention to that in forever yeah (laughs) Because it's the not relevant that, anymore. Well, yeah, because in, in the end, the point I was trying to make is he's getting to a, a place where even if he has a bad day and he finishes dead last, he's okay. Uh, now, with, and also with the two wins, you're, you're house money. Once we, once you've won two races, it doesn't matter anymore. They're the fourth. When you consider right now, there's three, four, five, six, six teams have won this year and four of them have two wins. So, and two of them are Penske cars. We can get into the whole Penske, whether Brad's going to be there and all, but, and, and Logano, it's kind of iffy with what Logano has been doing recently, but you, you have Hendrick has won two races. Penske's won four and you have SHR's won two, Pens- yeah, Penske's won four, Hendricks won two, Gibbs. and Gibbs has won two, uh, which isn't shocking. Uh, but when once you've won two races in this rule, in the way that the playoff works, it doesn't matter what you do the rest of the year. You're 10 races in, you're locked in, there's no way you're going to get knocked out. So anybody that's won two races, they're, they're house money, they're, they're getting ready for the playoffs. Chase Elliott is is fine. He's making the playoff. I would venture to say Alex Bowman, even though he didn't have, he hasn't had a great couple of races, he's fine too, which kind of defeats the purpose to me as a, as a so-called, in a sense, traditionalist, when you have to show up every week and really perform. You don't really have to perform in this format. It kind of fits the way the stupidity of NBA or NHL because their seasons are too long. You can have nights where you kind of mail it in and take a loss. That's what it is. Uh, But for Harvick, he's trying to get that second championship. He's been close before. 
and hasn't gotten it well he's trying to get it now um harvick leads four times 151 laps most laps led uh, martin truex won led the second amount of laps he won both stages had more points than harvick because of how you know you get stage points so he ended up having it was a 10 20 plus no you get 10 20 because it's 43 yeah that's that's one thing i'll now they've they've messed with the math enough where even for me i know you're better at math than me josh but they've made the machinations of how they calculate points like i'm it, it's amazing to me you don't even have to win or you don't have to be anywhere near the winner and you could have more points or you can have way more points and that's part of the problem with it but hey it is what it is uh kevin harvick kyle bush martin truex ryan blaney denny hamlin the top five so three of the top five were toyotas and that was a question i was going to ask uh what are your thoughts on how the toyotas performed in general they all seem to be up there, uh, the three main guys, of course, because once you separate Christopher Bell and Eric Jones, it's a different segment for them. But you're, they, they were up there. They were contending. I mean, even Christopher Bell, at the end of the day, he finished 18th, but he was a little better than that. What were your thoughts on Toyota and what, what they look like on Sunday relative to where they could be as we go on? Well, it seems like Martin Truex is starting to perform better than what it seemed like he had been performing at the beginning of the season. Because he didn't seem as, um, I guess, dominant or you know as as um, contending as what he had been in the past three or four years uh, in this in the Cup Series. You know, because he's been at least a, a top three or top five guy, you know, in years past, and and it just didn't seem like he was. Uh, up there and now it seems like this week um last you know couple of races now he's starting to improve a little bit but but so that's i guess that's good for him um kyle bush hasn't been quite as good you know um as what we would expect but you know he ended up finishing second quietly and hamlin you know he's already got two wins like we, we talked about so you know, for him, it's kind kind of um, experimentation, and they get to kind of see what they got and figure out what they what they'll need to do for the playoffs. But you know, for him, uh, it's it's good that they finished the top five. So definitely, the potential for Gibbs Racing is there, and for Toyota, since if Toyota basically is Gibbs Racing, so you know, at least if they're not winning, then maybe they'll start to be within the top five, top 10 uh, in that range. And, you know, I think Eric Jones, he, he was running decently within, you know, top five, top 15, um, top 10, whatever. And then he ended up having that flat tire and I, I don't know, I think he hit the wall or whatever, but he ended up not having a good finish. And then Christopher Bell, you know, they're kind of that second tier level Toyota team. So they didn't really, you know, they're not really on the same level, but overall it seems like maybe Gibbs racing is starting to maybe become a little bit more relevant. Um, and we'll see how that goes throughout the season. Yeah. It's the, the thing with Gibbs, they're never going to go away and they fell behind because Chevy finally hit on something after three years of being behind. You consider Penske's been on it this year. Uh, you SHR is there because Boyer 
which we could, I mean, Boyer was up there earlier and he was one of the only guys that led during the day. He was like, you think of, there was four drivers that led double digit laps and one, two, three, or five. And, and two of them were SHR cars and one of them was Boyer and Boyer went with alternative strategy and he was able to make something happen. But of course, per Clint Boyer being who he is, couldn't finish it off. You know, you had Logano led 10 laps. Uh, Clyde ended up leading 26 laps at the start. He led the first 26 laps of the race before the competition yellow and then disappeared. And then you had Martin Truex and Kevin Harvick. So it, I, Gibbs is never going to go away. No matter what they do, this racetrack, Atlanta, this whole part of the schedule that they've had where they've been running a lot of rougher and more unique racetracks is not what generally is the the playoff or what they have to deal with. So if Gibbs isn't showing up here, it doesn't really matter as much because these are one-off or one-race uh, kind of deals. Once we get to the next segment of races, it'll probably be a more... If they aren't contending, that'll be more of a, a trend or be a, more of an issue for JGR and uh, Toyota for people who are fans of them. Uh, you know, in terms of the points, Harvick is a points leader. He has a 48 point lead over Logano, uh, which is uh, eight points above Chase Elliott. And then Brad Kozlowski, Martin Truex, top five, Hamlin, sixth. Blaney 7th, Bowman 8th, Kyle Busch 9th, and Kurt Busch 10th. The bump spot right now is Eric Jones, who has a 20-point lead on William Byron. And so, I mean, right now, we, we don't really need to get into the bump spot. But as it stands right now, there probably is... I would say maybe 22 for 16 as as it stands, and that's kind of stretching it. But you're you'd have to say that we've already kind of started flushing out uh, where things are with that. Uh, when you look at how the race ran and how things have been, especially with the 550 rules package, uh, I, that was something I was thinking of, Josh, and I uh, wanted to hear your opinion. And have we gotten to a point with the stage racing and with the kind of the product that we have right now? Have we gotten to a point where that 500 mile races and with, with what we have don't matter anymore? And should we just be looking to shorten a bunch of these races to make them more TV friendly and then, you know, keep some of the classics, the classics, but really kind of shorten a bunch of the other ones. Well, it's an interesting question because, you know, like, like you, I'm also a traditionalist as well. And, you know, I think the whole point of running 500 mile races in the first place was really to be a a test of the car, uh, its ability to last 500 miles and also the driver's ability to last 500 miles. And you know, with the evolution of technology now, it's not really a question anymore of whether a car can last 500 miles. Um, I mean, you know, there's still aspects like fuel mileage and um, tire wear, which are also important and should be welcome. And, you know, the 
with the increase in personal fitness and and um, health in general for the drivers, you know, it seems like for the most part, you know, they're able to last 500 miles, and it's not like you really see many drivers get fatigued, you know. So it, maybe 500 miles aren't, you know, it's not relevant anymore. But you know, I feel like you know, from a traditional point of view, like a 500 mile race should be the most in in theory the most competitive uh form or at least provide the most opportunity for the most amount of you know lead changes to occur most you know amount of passing to occur and it allows for more opportunities for all that than a shortened race where it's more of a shortened experience and you also have to consider the fans as well who go there and you know travel from wherever to go watch a race and you have to consider if you know it's worth still worth that to be able to you know spend all that capital and whatnot to to be able to watch races in person and only be there for like two hours but looking from a you know from a stage racing standpoint you know it definitely definitely seems like um it makes it non-relevant anymore i mean we may as well just shorten the stages even further and i don't know maybe maybe just cut them in half you know the first two stages at least and then you know, just have a shorter third stage and just start running like 300 mile races. Maybe just make them as uh, long as the Xfinity races are, or whatever. But you know, it's it's just a lot of I don't know. It's a lot of um, confusion, I guess, because like like you know, you have to pay attention to the who who won the stage and and uh, how many stage points is did you know each driver get? And to me, it's kind of ridiculous how somebody who finished third like Martin Truex you know and ends up actually scoring more points than the winner to me you know it seems like they should at least reward the winner to make sure that the winner always gets the most amount of points in the race but we'll see how that goes um and you know I think with especially with some of the shortened races due to the uh the COVID pandemic I think it's probably on the table for um, a discussion to shorten a lot of the races outside of the the crown jewels. Yeah, I mean, for for me being into this sport as long as I've been into it, it's it's kind of weird to talk about it and think about it. But I today and when we're even during the the race itself on Sunday, it came to me in the sense that. When you're talking about a 500-mile race at Atlanta, it's supposed to be something where it's an endurance race. And when only two cars fell out of a race out of 40 cars, it's, it has nothing to do with endurance anymore. It's literally a case of cars that are in the way, which there were cars that were in the way. And, I mean, and, and let, let's be clear here. One car was a start and park in BJ McLeod because his car was wrecked by Denny Hamlin at Charlotte a few days before. So he was running a super speedway car. He start and parked three laps into the race. Timmy Hill's car was having issues from the beginning. And they ran, I think, about 85, 90% of the race. And then they got flagged off the racetrack. So 38 cars were on the racetrack. And you add the likes of the Joey Gases of the world and Smithleys and JJ Ailey's and, and Quinn Hoff, who has no business anywhere near a cup racetrack getting in the way, the way that Angela Ruck does. Uh, but 
when it's not an endurance race anymore, which is what NASCAR was for decades, when you know that engines aren't going to blow anymore, when you know that tires, I mean, you know, tires are going to blow out because Goodyear is Goodyear. I mean, but the, but to be completely transparent, the only person who really had tire issues the whole entire day was Clint Boyer, which means they were running, they were either running too much camber or they were running pressures, weird pressures, which effed them up. When you talk about Atlanta, they're only a one race a year deal anyway. And mostly a lot of races have been shortened to 400 miles. We're getting to a point where in the in the moment and in the culture that we're in, you need to be able to package things into a two or three hour time block, which means for Cup, it probably means 300 mile races at a lot of these cookie cutters or 350 mile races at most at cookie cutters. And then you leave these classics, whether it's, I mean, obviously Daytona 500, Southern 500, uh, one of the Talladega races being 500 miles, if they're going to have two Talladega races, and the other one should be shortened to 350 miles. Um, the Coke Zero 400 is now the cutoff, leave it as is, uh, you know, and then once you get past that, I guess the Brickyard 400s, whatever, it's kind of, but it's the Brickyard, it's bullshit. You could mean, oh, you could make that. I mean, yeah, and the Coca-Cola 600, yeah. Coca-Cola 600, I mean, as much as it's not a very entertaining race, just leave it. But uh, that's why they made the other race a, a Roval race. So you you consider they could make the Brickyard 400, the Brickyard 300, nobody give a fuck because it's a terrible race. So they they could honestly do that, and it wouldn't be a bad thing, but... You know, we, I don't think NASCAR is known for talking a lot. They have the fan council. They don't really make real changes that are productive to make the product better. They they do a lot of talking. So there's that. Um, we'll transition into the Xfinity series here before they, there's some other stuff uh, that we can discuss. But we'll transition to the Xfinity series. AJ Allmendinger wins the Echo Park 250 on Saturday for Colleg Racing. Uh, that was a, I mean, first oval win for him in a stock car, so that was a big deal for A.J. Allmendinger. Part-time driver, beat the two uh, regulars for that organization there. But when you look at the Xfinity race in general, it was... It was a benefit for the Ford guys, the two Ford guys, being uh, Chase Briscoe, who had a chance to win that race and sped, and then Austin Sindrick, who was the best car on Saturday in the 22, and he was part of that speeding late in the race. What were your what are your takeaways, Josh, on the Echo Park 250 on Saturday? Well, uh, you know, we previewed last week the Xfinity race, and I said, you know, look out for A.J. Allmendinger. I, I don't know if I – I don't think I said that he'd win it outright, but I said he might be one to watch, and he won the race, so credit to me on that. But, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, it's 
Noah Gregson finishing second. He won the pole, but he didn't really lead a lot of laps. Uh, and it seemed like it seemed like maybe he might challenge, you know, late. But then uh, he burned up. I don't know if he burned up his tires around out of ran out of time. And I mean, it was a good good race for uh, Daniel Hemrick being the the all star car, as they say, for Junior Motorsports and the number eight car. And good race, top five finish. Um, but wasn't really um, too entertaining. Um, you know, it seemed like Austin Sindrick seemed like a guy who was going to win the race or at least finish really well, and he ended up finishing 16th and faded pretty back. And Chase Briscoe didn't really have, I mean, he finished top 10, but um, you know, should have maybe finished better than that. But overall, um, it was good to see A.J. Allmendinger, you know, win an oval race and at least maybe uh, prove himself uh, going forward. Maybe it, uh, it's an opportunity to turn that from a, you know, a part-time deal to maybe a, a full-time deal or at least uh, maybe he runs half the races or something like that. And you know, he, he did say that uh, he liked being able to run part-time in the um, Cup or Xfinity Series and and do other series and do the broadcasting he's doing with NBC over with I think IMSA and all that. So we'll see how what this uh, win does for AJ Allmendinger. Yeah, I mean for he, him, and Matt Colleg, they have a good relationship. So he's going to be there limited races. He'll be able to do his thing, and he's also got a good relationship with. Uh, with Michael Shank. So he's always going to have a ride at Michael Shank racing, driving the GT GTD cars there. And I would venture to say that in other Enduros, he might be in play to go and outside of the Rolex 24, he would be in play to drive for Michael Shank racing. Good. It it was cool to see AJ Allmendinger win. He wasn't, he was one of the better cars during the day. He utilized the track position that that he was able to gain uh, with the speeding penalties of Austin Sindrick. Chase Briscoe was leading at that point at the end of stage two and Justin Allgaier to his advantage. And once he got the clean air, it was over. Uh, Chase, or, I mean, Chase Briscoe came in second at the end of stage two. Sindrick won. St- so in the end, Sindrick, was a leader. He sped, which also affected, which also affected uh, uh, Chase Briscoe. And when you consider uh, Justin Allgaier was eighth, he also got nailed with it. But he was one of the best cars. And so those three cars were three of the best. They all got affected. Ross Chastain had a good first two stages, but was, I don't know what happened in the final stage. He wasn't able to do anything there. Um, it's it's good for, and Justin Haley gets a top five finish. He finishes third. So it's good for colleague racing in general, because they were not as doing as well prior to COVID-19. Since they've returned, they seem to have taken a step forward. And they're in a place where when you look at Ross Chassin as a championship favorite, he had a down race at Bristol, came right back, top 10 finish. Justin Ailey has been up there taking a step forward in his second year full time in the Xfinity series. And of course, the third car 
which seems to be able to win on a regular basis, goes and gets another win with A.J. Allmendinger. Uh, I mean, we can look at the other regulars. I mean, you look at Noah Gregson. When it comes to the guys that will be eligible for the dash for cash, Gregson won the dash for cash on Saturday. Allmendinger, Gregson, Haley, and Hemrick will be the drivers that will be eligible for the dash for cash on Sunday because Saturday they'll be running a double header at uh, Homestead. The Hooters 250, I believe, is what they're calling the 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 next race uh, at Homestead on Saturday will be uh, a race where Dale Earnhardt Jr. will be running his one race of the year in the eight car. Uh, that'll be a non, that'll just be regular. And then on Sunday, the race before the cup series, I guess, I, what do they call that? Uh, something vodka 400, Dixie, Dixie vodka. vodka 400. That'll be uh, the dash for cash. So those guys will be going for that. Um, when it comes to looking at that, I mean, I guess we'll talk about it in, in more detail, but, when you look at the Xfinity series right now, Josh, uh, Briscoe and and Gumby Sindrick and and uh, what do you call Allgaier all stood out there. They're all up there. Uh, what are you looking at in terms of what we should see uh, as kind of like a pseudo preview before we get into it later for uh, Homestead? Well, I, I definitely, you know, again, you're going to have to look out for your junior motorsports guys. And even Dale Jr., too, you know, last year in his lone race, he ended up finishing in sixth at, at Darlington. So I would expect him to, you know, do solidly. Um, I don't know if he'll win the race or not, but we'll see how that goes. Uh, you know, and expect him, uh, Briscoe, you know, like you said, and uh, Austin Sindrick, I think they'll definitely contend and Maybe we might see uh, Harrison Burton, poss- possibly Ross Chastain as well. But we'll see. Uh, I, I mean, I, I think those are the guys that you're gonna have to uh, look out for. But I don't I don't know um, who could be a clear cut winner. But it would definitely come from the, uh, the one of those guys. Yeah. Well, we don't have to get into that until later. So uh, you have some time to figure that out. Uh, we'll go from. The Xfinity race to the truck race, which was the Vettix Camping World 200. Grant Infinger gets his second win of 2020 in the truck series, making a pass at uh, on the green-white checkered to go and uh, beat Austin Hill, who had the race probably locked down there and... Uh, Caution came out because old Clyde Clyde uh, went and spun out there late and uh, cost him. So, and also, I mean, before we go into the results of the race, Johnny Sauter ended up getting penalized uh, for whatever he got penalized for and got sent all the way to tailback. So... Uh, what were your thoughts, Josh, on the truck series race where Grant Infinger was able to utilize uh, pass uh, late in the race to go and take down his second win of 2020? 
Yeah, I mean, I thought it was going to be a race with Kyle Busch just dominating. Like, it seems like, at least with the truck series, you know, it's not always a guarantee with Xfinity. Um, but with, you know, at least in the truck series, I thought, you know, he would dominate the race. And, and that ended up not being the case. And then kind of made his own mistake with hitting the wall. And, and I, he had a speeding penalty. And, and so granted his own issue. And then, you know, th- we also thought that Chase Elliott would would be a contender and he was but then he burned up his tires trying to make up time to get back to the front and then he uh spun out um from from that but uh i thought austin hill i thought he was um, gonna win and then that caution came out and then um you know usually we, we say staying out at atlanta is not the call but then surprisingly i think austin hill did and some other guys did and uh, I don't know. I think Grant Infinger was, I think he was driver who pitted or or whatever, but he was able to steal the win in the last couple of laps, which you know says something about you know racing because in racing it's like you'd expect normally the guy who dominates the race to win the race. At least that's how it always was up until the green white checkered rules. But you know ever since then it's always you can never count out the last two laps if there's the caution that comes out and especially with um factors like tire wear and and all that especially at atlanta you know um you have to wonder if maybe austin hill maybe should have pitted and tried to drive his way back to the front and and if he would have won the race or or at least made it entertaining trying to drive back up there or not yeah, I mean, for Austin Hill, it's been interesting with him since he got into the Hattori Racing truck, the HRE truck, that he's taken a step way forward to where he looks like somewhat legitimate that could, in time, be uh, a cup driver. And before that, nobody knew who the hell he was, and he was irrelevant. If he goes and wins that race on Saturday, it wouldn't have been shocking. He probably should have. And, you know, that caution comes out with Clyde going and spinning out uh, at the end of the race. And the and that, and in turn, uh, assisted the finish that, that happened there. And, I mean, for Grant Enfinger, he's locked in when you consider it's a much more tighter season instead of 36 races they have 23 and right now i don't know if they're definitely gonna have 23 races not only is grand infinger locked in he's the favorite for sure uh for this championship because Enfinger's won the arca series championship before which had a diverse track background and he's one of the best drivers in the series he's one of the best drivers that isn't given the kind of credit that he probably should get it's why trucks and xfinity exist uh we'll see what happens with that for uh the rest of the season but they'll be at homestead on saturday afternoon and we'll see or saturday early and we'll see what they're gonna do there uh, first time that they'll run Homestead early in the year in a long time. So maybe you'll have a different kind of race than what you do at the end of the year at night. And maybe we'll see something different. Uh, the one thing I wanted to go over, uh, not just the fact that it was a little more competitive race, even though the cup guys 
took down a lot of the accolades because of the way TV presented it. But you look at the guys like Christian Eckes, who struggled earlier in the season, but he stood out. Uh, he was on pole because of the draw, but he was up front early in the race, had, was up in the top 10 all day, finished third. You look at the 21 of Zane Smith. He ended up getting a top five finish. He was top five in the first stage. You look at the young guns. What are you? Who are some of the guys? Like, what are your thoughts on some of the other, like that really made a name for themselves on on Saturday? Uh, that you know wouldn't get the kind of TV coverage they probably deserve. Well, I mean, Christian Eckes is probably you know one of the guys. Uh, you know, I think Zane Smith as well. You know, he led a couple of laps. Um, I think Derek Krause. I mean, they did talk about him a little bit on TV, I think, and I, I saw him uh, when they cycled through the field and he ended up finishing seventh. I thought, you know, he had a good, uh, definitely a good run. Um, and, you know, even even somebody like Ben Rhodes has kind of been around for a while but hasn't really done a lot. You know, he uh, finished ninth, which isn't like a great finish, but is a decent finish. But, you know, for guys like, you know, especially like Todd Gilliland, like um, yeah. he was retained by... Kyle Busch Motorsports and you know Kyle Busch Motorsports is kind of looked at as the uh, the team that kind of propels you to the next series and he didn't do that and he just stayed in truck and went to Bob Jenkins uh, for him to get a top five finish I think that's a good thing for him and that team so I I think him and Christian Eckes definitely those are guys who who definitely stood out from that group. Yeah, Todd, that was who I was going to go with. It was great. It was great. You mentioned him, Josh. Uh, the Gilland, who struggled in the Kyle Bush stuff, and Kyle Bush, who emphasizes making sure his trucks are the fastest and his and his you know proteges of sorts don't have the best stuff. Uh, you look at Christian Eck has finally had a good run. The ARCA Series champion last year took it away from Michael Self. He didn't run every race last year. Eckes, he had an illness the one race. I think it was at Salem, missed it. And he was able to go and win the championship after not even running all the races. Took the soul out of Michael Self. He's the kind of guy that he has the potential to go and take off. We'll see what happens with Toyota. They don't have enough cars right now uh, to probably support it. Gillen never was comfortable at Kyle Busch Motorsports. It seems like he's a lot more comfortable in this DGR Crosley uh, front row motorsports setup. And on Saturday, he looked the part, uh, finished top five. He has a potential to go and kind of flip this thing on the lid the way that Tyler Ankrum did in a DGR Crosley truck last year go and win one race, get in the playoff, make something happen. That's kind of what Todd Gillen needs. I mean, worst case, I think Front Row Motorsports is going to keep him around. Uh, you, you consider Xfinity is not exactly the strongest. They might be able to go and put him in a car there. But um, he's in a place where I think he can make something happen. And it's good to see. We'll go to Homestead. We'll find out what they're going to do there. Uh before we move on to the previews, 
there was a lot of stuff we talk about, you know, the George Floyd, uh, the his his murder and uh, the the movement that's been uh, going on. Uh, a lot of the protests, a lot of the sports leagues coming out. NASCAR went and did a thing at the start of the race where they stopped everybody at the start finish line and had Steve Phelps, president of NASCAR, go and talk and talk about Black Lives Matter. Bubba Wallace uh, wore a shirt and ma- wore a mask, a flag mask, and wore a shirt that identified towards. Uh, you know, what's going on within the Black Lives Matter. Uh, I, I think that it's something we should discuss. Um, oh, when, when it comes to, it's like, it, I, I want to ask you this, Josh, is like, is NASCAR pandering to a segment to the population when it comes to how they're addressing this? And some of the things that have been going on this last week, week and a half, are they really trying to make changes to move forward? to make this sport actually go forward compared to where it's been. Well, I think, you know, we saw the drivers or most of the drivers, they all posted a video or they said they'd learn and listen. And I think at least for the drivers, you can say that they'll try to make a change and not, you know, be anti-racist and be more inclusive towards minorities and people of color. Um, But for NASCAR, uh, I mean, I think it might be a little bit of both. I think they're they're probably taking advantage of the opportunity, given that they're the only sport around and and all that. And you know, they I think maybe they they do want to change as well. But it's it's hard to really um, see what will come of that. You know, it's it's well known that NASCAR has a base of very far right or well not far right, but you know, very right wing people. Um, you know, it was four years ago, the essentially NASCAR came out and endorsed President Trump when he was campaigning during the Republican primaries in March 2016. And even though it wasn't a, a sport, like went out and made an official statement that NASCAR supports Trump, you saw Brian France, Chase Elliott, uh, Greg Biffle, uh, David Martin. Reagan. Yeah, Mark Martin. Well, that was a separate one, but I remember the one specific one where it's Brian France, uh, Chase, Bill Elliott. Uh, I think Greg Biffle and and um, David Reagan and uh, that came out and supported and they kind of made a statement for NASCAR although it wasn't official it basically essentially was NASCAR endorsing Trump and then you know we have there's been other drivers that um, have uh, had you know Trump 2016 on their car or I don't know if there's been like a Trump 2020 uh, car but you know we've seen that in the past and this year at the Daytona 500. Uh, you know, President Trump came and was the grand marshal or for the race and said, gentlemen, start your engines. And then he got to take the presidential motorcade around the track for uh, a lap or two. Um, you know, so the point the point of saying that all is that, you know, we, we know where kind of where President Trump stands um, with all this and that he's very, very much pro-police and, you know, he hasn't really made a um, I mean, yeah, he's condemned the killing of George Floyd, but you know, he hasn't really made a statement towards the overall subject of uh, police brutality and all that. So, you know, the other thing is, is you know, besides making this you know public statement at the race, um, I I would like to see what specific changes going forward 
will that NASCAR will actually do. You know, we saw them or Bubba Wallace like saying that NASCAR should ban the Confederate flag and all that, which that's one part of the equation um, if if they choose to go in this direction. But yeah, as a sport, you know, as far as actually growing the sport um, and getting more um, black fans and black drivers, because, you know, in order for black fans to really, um, I guess, you know, get into the sport, you know, there has to be a, um, a black driver and, you know, Bubba Wallace is part of that, but you'd like to see if this is the direction we're going to go, you'd like to see um, more opportunities for um, black people or other um, races to be involved in. I know there's the drive for diversity, but that hasn't really worked out and it hasn't been that successful of a program as far as bringing drivers to the cup series. And we saw the, I think the only really the only drivers of note that we've seen are Daniel Suarez, Bubba Wallace and Kyle Larson, who's not yeah. even in the sport anymore. Yeah. So I don't really know, um, you know, like what, what will NASCAR do beyond making this statement? And, and so we'll see as a sport, what NASCAR will do, but you know, I mean, as, as for myself, you know, I, I mean, I, what I actually think of it, I mean, I think it's a good thing for the drivers at least, you know, and me being, you know, I'm politically, I'm a, a libertarian. So a lot of the issues with um, police r- brutality and some of the, um, you know, criticisms of police brutality, I, or at least, you know, in favor of supporting the idea that there is pr- uh, police brutality, I, I agree with. And then, you know, there are some other things that I, I disagree with, but, you know, that this that's um, a whole nother topic. Um, but, you know, I think I think um, for the most part, I think it could be a good thing. But um, it's it's um, that's very generous to say, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a big it's a big topic. You're you're we're going across multiple levels. It's bigger than the sport of auto racing. It's bigger than NASCAR. Um, when it comes to this whole, uh, when it comes to addressing what happened uh, with George Floyd, you talk about and other other people who have been affected by uh, you know police brutality and be, been affected by police. And, you know, when when they when you talk about how police go and treat people of color, uh, someone of, you know, a person of color, you know, how I felt being treated by police, depending on where I've been, I've uh, in my own town that I've lived in most of my life and the way they've dealt with me relative to other towns. Uh, it, it differs, and it also differs based on certain uh, types of police, you know. And so, there, that's its own separate conversation. It's bigger than uh, this podcast, and in, in general, it's bigger for it, it'd be something that has to be in the national landscape. But even they're not capable of doing that at this point. Uh, when you talk about what they're doing and some of the signs and what the shirt that Bubba wore and people speaking out against Bubba Wallace and fundamentally as a fan of Bubba Wallace, not just because of his skin color, just because of who he is as a person and his driving ability. uh, It's a very hard, it's a very tough uh, thing for him to have to deal with in this time and 
the society that we're in having to kind of carry that burden um he's not in the same place or in a position like other people of color and other sports of course whether it's the nfl the nba like a lebron james he's not in a place where he has the support of a say a michael jordan where if he had the support of a michael jordan maybe you'd have a bigger platform and he'd have the ability to go and say well I've got the greatest, arguably the greatest basketball player uh, to go and back me um, and show that we're trying to make a real change here. And it's it's a thing where there's segments of the fan base and there's segments. And, and I think the way I want to go about it is this. NASCAR and the Daytona Beach Mafia has always been about kind of playing all sides of the aisle to try to make it work out for their best benefit. And they'll use drivers, they'll use teams, they'll use whatever it takes to go and get their own point across and they'll drop everybody else out on the side. And for me as a Bubba Walls fan, for a team with Richard Petty Motorsports that's on, they're, they're right on the fringe where it could go good or bad, taking the kind of, the kind of sides that they are. Uh, it's, it's, you know, I guess going and utilizing a lower funded team and utilizing a guy who's willing to grind and kind of willing to take the hit for a sport that has been backwards and in into I, you think about the origins of NASCAR racing and moonshine and bootlegging and all that and not really being inclusive. And it's never truly fixed that inclusiveness, whether it's people of color, whether it's women, they've never really fixed that. It hasn't affected me as a fan because I've kind of been used to what it was, but I appreciate people of color and people or women or whatever, as long as they cared coming into this sport, but NASCAR yeah. doesn't know what to do. And fundamentally they don't know what to do. I, I, I said this on a page. I'm like, they, they don't know who they're pandering to one minute. They're doing a MAGA rally next minute. They're doing black lives matter. So they obviously don't know who they're pandering to which means they don't have a direction. They don't have an idea of what they need to do to actually make this sport exist. And uh, Bubba's going to be running a Black Lives Matter 43 car tomorrow. I'm sure that that was signed off on by uh, the guy who uh, funds the, the, I forget what's the one sponsor he has that that funded him that went and invested in the 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 hole in the wall gang and uh, the victory junction gang camp the one guy Merstein. not Merstein, he's the owner the guy who who's a fun he's a he's a he's a guy that works with the uh, gateway he's uh, he's involved with the gateway track and uh, he he's like the big fun guy he's the one that put the victory junction like every race at victory junction gang camp is on the car he's the he's a benefactor on that i think he's the one who's like hey i support you bubba we'll run this car it's all good 
but in terms of what you're doing within the sport and what you're trying to do with your base, you're playing a you're playing with fire here. Um, whether you're talking about myself or Josh, we're the minority at the end of the day, literally and figuratively, in terms of minority. Um, when you're talking about the majority, you're playing with fire here, and it's something you have to wonder what's going to happen in an election year and multiple things that come from that. Uh, we'll transition into the uh, Blue Emu 500, which, of course, they effed over Bubba. We are talking about Bubba. They effed <laughs> him over at Bristol, and, and that's a Mr. The King's sponsor. He used to be a goodies headache powder 500. Now it's a Blue Emu 500. What are your um, – who do you think uh, would be a favorite tomorrow night if they run tomorrow night, Josh, at uh, Martinsville? First night race ever for the Cup Series at Martinsville uh, officially. Yeah, I think probably Denny Hamlin, Brad Keselowski. I think those are the guys that you have to look for with Martinsville. Um, maybe, I mean, if we look historically speaking, maybe Jimmy Johnson because he's you know had – a lot of wins at Martinsville, but he hasn't been that great uh, really overall, as we all know, the last two or three seasons. But I think probably um, I could see Denny Hamlin, you know, um, who would be, I think that would be my overall pick. Uh, he's He's been really good at the short tracks, um, and I don't expect him to uh, do anything less than try to win the race. Yeah, I mean, you're never, you can never go wrong with Denny Hamlin at Martinsville. It's in Virginia. He always seems to do well at at Martinsville and Richmond. Uh, we'll go over the starting lineup. Blaney starts on pole based on the draw. Eric Almirola is second. Joey Logano's third. Clint Boyer fourth. Martin Truex fifth. Brad Keselowski is sixth. Kyle Busch seventh, Alex Bowman eighth, Kyle Busch ninth, or Kurt Busch ninth, Kevin Harvick tenth, Elliot Hamlin the top twelve. You look at some of the other people, first rookies Tyler Reddick in fourteenth, uh, John Hunter Nemechek eighteenth, Matt Kenseth starts twentieth, Jimmy Johnson starts twenty first, Bubba Walls in the BLM Chevys twenty third, and then after that, really it doesn't matter. Uh, you, David Starr will be in the way tomorrow night if they run. He'll be running the 53 car. And, uh, yeah, there's switching amongst all the Rick Ware uh, cars that he's somewhat connected to. So, I mean, you, I think Toyota has been great at Martinsville for a while, which means you look at Truex, who won there last uh, October, you look at Kyle Busch, it should be uh, a place where Toyota can go and get a win that isn't Danny Hamlin. And if Danny Hamlin gets a win, it wouldn't be shocking either. But it would be – Eric Jones is in 13th. So those are all guys that are in a position where they can make something happen. And that'll be tomorrow. Uh, but after that, they'll be at Homestead. Uh, there will be two Xfinity races at Homestead, and there will also be a truck race and a cup race at Homestead Miami Speedway. I'll go and send it to you, Josh. In terms of Homestead in general, you, you kind of mentioned it earlier, but if I were to say, who do you pick 
on Saturday, which is an open, theoretically open race on Saturday, and uh, and then Sunday, which would be a, a dash for cash race. Who are you looking for for those two? Uh, I would say Chase Briscoe for the first one, and maybe for the second one, uh, I want to say Noah Gregson, but I don't think he has what it takes. He'll screw it up somehow. So I'm going to say Justin Algar. Yeah, that's safe. That's a safe pick. Honestly, you go and get into Justin Allgaier. I mean, he's not eligible. Uh, I don't. You think about it. It uh, in terms of the dash for cash. It's uh, the what's it called? The AJ Allmendinger. You have Noah Gregson, and uh, I have to go back here. I have to go back here to the. Echo Park 50. It's AJ Allmendinger, Noah Gregson, Justin Haley, Daniel Hemrick. If I were to pick one guy that I, that has a chance, if I I'll go to Sunday first. I'll just go out on a limb. I'll take Daniel Hemrick. He hasn't won in the Big Three series yet. He's due. Uh, he just him and and his beautiful wife Kenzie just had their first uh, child, a uh, baby daughter. Um, so. He's running on adrenaline now because early mornings with a baby doesn't know, you know, he's ready. Uh, he's ready to go and make something happen. So I'll go and take Hemrick to win the 100000 to to go and get Junior Motorsports at 100000 on the dash for cash. On Saturday, in terms of who's out there, I mean, Earnhardt is the standout guy, of course. But when you boil it down to simplest terms, it, it really, I think it comes down to one of the Fords. It comes down to either Chase Briscoe in the Ford Performance Racing School 98 or uh, Austin Sindrick in the PPG car. I, it really, the, they, the way that it ran at Atlanta, it should be similar at homestead with a very rough surface you have to run up against the wall and of course you don't have tyler reddick up there who's a a high line master uh that would kind of probably play into the hands of a younger guy like a gregson like a justin haley but i would think it was going to get decided between a ford on uh, saturday Uh, the last race we have to talk about is the Baptist Health 200 at Homestead, the truck series race. You will have Chase Elliott in the race, and you'll also have Kyle Busch in this race on uh, Saturday. Um, Who do you look for, Josh, as a favorite and who could win on Saturday afternoon at Homestead? I'm... I'm going to go with the obvious pick for like who I think should win. I would think that Chase Elliott would at least you know lead a lot of laps, uh, but I think maybe we'll see Austin Hill. Maybe he can carry on the relative success from Atlanta and go and win the race or you know, run run well. I would maybe think you know Grandin Finger as well. Maybe he'll. Uh, carry on the momentum from the win. Um, potentially, other other guys to look out for. Uh, 
maybe Todd Gilliland or or um, Matt Crafton. Those are the guys that possibly could uh, you know have success at Homestead. Um, Matt Crafton, you know, he's been in the championship four many times uh, since that format started, and he's uh, always been a contender in general in the Truck Series. And I think maybe uh, he'll he'll do well at, on that race. Yeah, I mean that's those are all good uh, picks there. I I'll go and say Ross Chastain. It's a home game for him. Uh, he fell short last year when uh, he was trying to get a championship. He wasn't able to get it. I think the Nice Motorsports team, they've limited themselves to three trucks this week compared to the four, which they've been running for most of the year. I figure Chastain would be somebody as a wild card kind of pick in terms of a regular... I mean, Majeski with Phil Gould, they've been on there. They've been there, but they haven't been able to put everything together. You have to wonder when that's going to start because of how tight you only have eight spots in the truck series. So there are going to be legitimately good vehicles going home at the end of the regular season. So if you can't, if you don't win, then you you have a real problem, and and if you and if you, if you're not going to win, you need to make points. So that's what Matt Crafton did. He got his third series championship. God bless him. But it's gonna you need a win, and this is there's gonna be a different tension, a different type of race here Saturday than what we've seen in many years past because it's going to be run in the middle of the day. It's going to be slick. You need to win a race. It's likely that Kyle Busch or Chase Elliott's going to win, but you can maximize stage points, and that's where you have to go and make it. If you don't have a great truck, you maximize points, you make things happen, and then you go and move forward to the next race, I think would be Talladega or wherever that would be. Um, with that, uh, we will uh, end uh, this week's uh, Grip Strip podcast. Do you have anything uh, you want to go out on, Josh, or everything? Um, yeah, so, you know, I thought one, I just want to circle back back to Atlanta. Like, did yeah. you notice that uh, moment during the race when? Larry McReynolds was grinding a bias fly tire with a cheese grater. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah, was that... a, a bad moment. Embarrassing. Yeah, well, it's Larry McReynolds. He doesn't know where he is at this point. <laughs> the fact is, I mean, one thing that it's like if he brought his daughter on, it might be hot. You know, the way that Dr. Jerry Punch's daughter, Jesse Punch, is out there working for NASCAR.com and all that. And she's a beautiful girl and all that. I mean, that would be fine. But, you know, Larry McReynolds is past his, past his due date. Same way as Mike Joy, same way as Jeff Gordon. That's a discussion for another week, and hopefully we'll be able to do that here on the Grip Strip podcast, uh, talking about who we wish was uh, were announcing 
races here in uh, NASCAR or other motorsports series. And we'll, we probably will get to that at some point. But yeah. while racing is going on, uh, we'll be talking about the races at Homestead and Martinsville, maybe a little bit Martinsville, but definitely Homestead next week on the Gripster Podcast and anything else that comes up because Formula One's coming back. Got other motorsports series that are going to be coming back in more detail football uh, will also be in play and a little bit of gambling stuff we should we might be able to start talking about in more detail here on the Gripster Podcast. So for Joshua Fine, my name's Philip Matthew. Thank you for listening and uh, have a good day and good night or whenever you're listening. Take care.